good to see you. Um, we're back in Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to set up what we're talking about this way. Uh, I, I did a couple of polls this week, one via text, one on Facebook, and, and I asked a, a question, asked it a little differently uh, with the different groups, but I asked the question, what, uh, what's the ultimate purpose of salvation? And I, what I kind of anticipated was a, a few people would answer the question biblically. Maybe a few people would just whiff, get it completely wrong. And, and that most people would give an answer that's true, but not exactly answering the question that I ask. Because I, I think a lot of times when it comes to salvation... You know, there's, a, there's God's side to it, there's our side to it. We tend to focus on our side, we tend to focus on what we get out of it, and we maybe sometimes miss the main point of it. And so, uh, what I'm talking about is, you know, s- some common answers to this question is, you know, what's the purpose of salvation? Well, so we escape the judgment of God, so we don't have to go to hell. Have you ever heard somebody say that before? You probably have. Um, You know, so you get to go to heaven, right? So you can have a relationship with with God. Um, So, you know, I can be helped with my problems uh, for my prosperity, which is a wrong answer, but sometimes people say that. Sometimes people say, well, to make me the best person uh, that, that I can be. Uh, some people said to reconcile us to God. Uh, some people said to, uh, you know, redeem us. Uh, somebody said so that we can obey God. Uh, somebody talked about so that we can praise God and, and, and tell other people uh, about Jesus. And like I said, most of those are answers that there's at least an element of truth in if they're not completely true. But none of those are the ultimate purpose of salvation. And that's what I want to show you in Ephesians chapter 2 today. And I want to start, I just kind of want to give you the message in a nutshell. Here's the, here's the message in a sentence. Here's the big idea. There's two parts to it. We're going to focus on the first part today, maybe touch on the second part, and then look at it some more over the next couple of weeks. But the, the ultimate purpose of salvation is the glory of God. And so that means that the only means of salvation then is the grace of God. The ultimate purpose of salvation, the reason that Jesus died, uh, the reason that God has chosen to save us, is the glory of God. And so that means that the only means of salvation then is the grace of God. Now, I want to show this to you in Scripture. And what I want to do is, I mean, really, we're fo- the message today is Ephesians 2, 7. But I want us to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We talked about verses 1 through 6 last week. But I want us to, to see it all together as a, as a unit. And then I want us to go back and, and look at three verses in, in chapter 1 that fits with this. I mean, we already went over them, but I didn't talk about them a, a lot because I was kind of saving it until we got to this. So uh, let, let's read uh, this text together, Ephesians 2.1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So we see in these first three verses, uh, we talked about this last week, our spiritual condition apart from Christ. This is God's assessment of us, that we're spiritually dead, that we're controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil, that we're disobedient, and that we're under his wrath. But God, God intervened, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So this is who we were. But God, when we didn't deserve it, when we were hopeless and helpless and couldn't save ourselves, God stepped in uh, in in his grace, in his mercy, with his love. And, you know, we talked about last week that God doesn't love the new and improved future version of us. He loves us where we are, even, you know, the messed up version of us. It says, you know, even we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he took us from death uh, to life. He took us from being under the wrath of God uh, to being co-heirs with Jesus Christ. He supernaturally has you know, made this great transformation in us. But then verse 7 comes to the purpose. The first word of verse 7 is the word that. And that may not mean a whole lot to you. So that, you know, that's a little word. What's the big deal about that? Well, it, it conveys a lot more in Greek than it does in English. Um, it, it, it's, it's a purpose clause. And what that means is he's saying that the purpose that he's done all these things, the, the reason and, and the ultimate you know, result of all of this is that in the ages to come, in, in eternity, it literally age upon age without end, uh, that you know, he, he's brought us from death to life for the purpose that forevermore he might show, he might demonstrate is what it means. He might display the exceeding, the superabundant riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What that's saying is, is the ultimate purpose of salvation is so that God can display us, God can show us off throughout eternity as trophies of his grace that he bought and redeemed so that he would be glorified in us and by us forevermore. That's what that verse is talking about. And the second half of the statement, the the ultimate purpose of salvation is the glory of God. So the only means of salvation is the grace of God. Look at what verses 8 and 9 say. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, we can't be saved by our own works. We can only be saved by the grace of God because if we could accomplish it, we could boast about it. But if only Jesus did it, we can only boast in him. The glory is God's, not ours, so it has to be by grace. And then verse 10 kind of puts a bow on this whole section, I think, it's a neglected verse in Scripture. I mean, if we, I think, you know, two of the most commonly memorized verses in the Bible are Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. If you know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you ought to add verse 10 to it. It says, for where is workmanship? And the word workmanship literally means work of art. It literally means masterpiece. 
We're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, think about it. God fashioned man from the dust and then the woman from one of his ribs, uh, you know, breathed into them the breath of life, created them in his image, but we fell. We were corrupted by sin. We were in this place of spiritual uh, death and under the wrath of God, but in Jesus Christ, God has now turned us, recreated us, and we're born again, we're made alive, and we're God's masterpiece now. We're a new creation in Christ, and we're not saved by our works, but we're saved unto good works because he's made us new, and he's made us different. He's transformed us. We're not who we were. Uh, we're, We're different now. We're new now, not based on what we did, but based on Uh, What he did to his glory by his grace. Now, I think this fits with and and amplifies what we read in chapter 1. You know, we talked about uh, verses 3 through 14, that long uh, section that that lists all these blessings that we have in Christ. But in verse 6, he says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, speaking of the Father. In verse 12, speaking of Jesus, says that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. You see that phrase? Verse 14, speaking of the Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. It's all for the glory of God. Listen. Uh, you know, we get the benefits of salvation in a sense. It's for us, but it's never about us. It's always for his name's sake. The ultimate purpose of salvation is the glory of God. So the only possible means of salvation is the grace of God. And I believe that he wants this to be, if you're a Christian, one of the convictions that guides your life. And if you're not a Christian, he wants you to see that the essence of sin is failing to give God glory. It's why the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so you can never save yourself. And the only way to glorify God and have a relationship with God is to repent of your sin and your self-righteousness and your own efforts at saving yourself and to trust in Jesus and his grace and his grace alone to make you right with God. You see, here's the thing. Every one of us in this room, I, I, I make this statement with zero fear of contradiction. Every one of us in this room wants glory. I do, you do, we want, we want glory. That's, our flesh wants that. We, we want to be recognized. We want to be praised. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be appreciated. We, we, we want you know, everybody to see how valuable we are. And we want people to do things for us that acknowledge our worth and, and all of these kind of things. And there's not anything wrong with people appreciating us and doing things for us and that kind of thing. It's the heart attitude that's the issue. Because the heart attitude behind this is pride. 
And, and that's why C.S. Lewis says that pride is the complete anti-God state of mind and that it's the root of all of our sin. What made Adam and Eve sin in, in the garden? It's that, I mean, they, they believed a lie, you know, which there's always a lie behind every sin that we commit. They believed a lie, but the lie was that God was holding back on them, that, that, that there was something more for them. And, you know, they were already made in the image of God, but really what they were looking for is they were looking for the glory that only belonged to God. And that's really what we're looking for at the end of the day when we sin. So you may say, oh, we're talking about the glory of God. This is abstract and theological. No, it's so practical because, you know, we, we tend to look at the, the root issues instead of the, or the fruit issues instead of the root issues. But the root issue is that we sin, <coughs> that we try to please people, that we make bad decisions, that we try to fill the hole that's in us in the wrong ways because we're looking for our own glory instead of the glory of God. And so when we begin to see what the glory of God is and begin to make that priority in our lives, it begins to change everything. And so the ultimate purpose of salvation is the glory of God. So the only possible means of salvation is the grace of God. Now, there's two kind of parts to that sentence, to that statement. I want to break it down and really, like I said, focus on the first part today. So we talk about the glory of God. You say, well, you know, what are we even talking about? So let, let's look at the nature of, of the glory of God. And uh, There's probably more technical ways that it could be defined. But my favorite definition of the glory of God comes from Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life because I think it's relatable. <clears throat> and so here's what he says. Talking about the glory of God, that it's all for him. The ultimate goal of the universe is to show the glory of God. It is the reason for everything that exists, including you. God made it all for his glory. Um, without God's glory, there would be nothing what is the glory of God? It is who God is. It is the essence of his nature, the weight of his importance, the radiance of his splendor, the demonstration of his power, and the atmosphere of his presence. God's glory is the expression of his goodness and all his other intrinsic, eternal qualities. So everything that God is, his perfect nature his glory is just the outward, shining, brilliant manifestation of everything that makes him God. Now, think about it this way. Think about the sun for a minute and just, you know, the, the brilliance of the sun. And, you know, on, on a sunny, summer, bright, cloudless day, if we look directly at the sun, what's going to happen to us? Yeah, it'll damage our eyes, right? Now, we're a long way away from the sun, right? We're in, in, in no way getting the full expression of the brilliance of the sun, but we still can't handle it. But I want you to think about this. The Bible tells us that there's not a need for the sun or the moon in heaven because heaven is lit by the glory of God. That's how brilliant and, and, and how bright and just, it, I can't even explain it. 
How mind-boggling the idea of the glory of God is. And so for us to go to heaven, you know, when the Bible talks about us being glorified, that part of the work of transformation, of perfecting us, that God does in us through the blood of Christ, is that he has to transform us in such a way that we can actually dwell in the presence of the glory of God. And heaven is about the glory of God. Everything is about the glory of God. In Isaiah 6.3, you have the angels uh, around the throne of God crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, God says in Isaiah 42 that I am the Lord. This is my name and my glory. I will not give to another. In Isaiah 43.7, he says that we are created for his glory. In, Ro- in Romans eleven thirty six, 36, uh, Paul wrote, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Everything is about the glory of God, and salvation is certainly no exception to that. And so, based on that, John Piper uh, wrote this, and it's true of us as Christians, as a church, really in any Christian organization, really in anything that we're involved in as Christians. He says, if the pursuit of God's glory is not ordered above the pursuit of man's good and the affections of the heart and the priorities of the church, man will not be well served and God will not be duly honored. So are we about the glory of God? That's what God's about. That's what the Bible's talking about when it says that God is a jealous God, that he won't share his glory with another. And anything that we give glory to, anything that we boast in, anything that we make of ultimate importance, anything that we're sacrificing for and dedicated to outside of God or something that's of God, then by definition becomes an idol. An idol is anything that we give glory and dedication and sacrifice and devotion to that's, that really belongs to God. It doesn't have to be a statue. It can be a person, a position, a thing, money, anything outside of that. Okay, But second, I want you to see here in, in understanding this, that we are trophies of grace who eternally receive God's gracious kindness in Jesus Christ. So, if, if I went to some of your houses, you probably, probably have some trophies on your mantle or somewhere in your house. Maybe you've got a room, you know, guys, your athletic accomplishments from your younger days, right? Still trying to uh, remember the glory days sometimes, right? Or maybe it's your kids' trophies or plaques or, or, or whatever. Or, you know, if you went in my office, I have diplomas on my wall and an ordination certificate, and I've got some other things that people have given me, some stuff that they've given me in, in Honduras. And usually a trophy or a plaque or something like that is like a recognition of an accomplishment or some kind of recognition of uh, appreciation that, that someone has given you or, or, or that kind of thing. And... Um, you know, we, we, when we display stuff like this, it's something that's important to us. But when we understand 
Ephesians 2, 7, we see what's important to God. What God is saying is that in a sense we are trophies of his grace that he is displaying throughout eternity for his glory. Now, we're going to talk about the glory side in a minute, but here I'm going to focus on, I'm not diminishing how blessed we are. right? I'm not diminishing what we get out of this. Okay? I mean, just two or three verses of Scripture here. Psalm 1611. Uh, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's heaven going to be like? I don't know. I know we're not angels floating around on clouds strumming harps. Whatever it's like, there's fullness of joy and there's pleasure forevermore. We know everything's going to be perfect there, that we're in the presence of the glory of God there. We know we're going to be worshiping him and serving him. We don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but it's full of joy. It's full of pleasure. It will be better than anything that we've ever experienced on the earth. So if you take your best experiences here and multiply it a bunch of times, you're starting to get to where, to what heaven may be like. Revelation 7 verse 13 uh, John uh, says one of the elders responded to him and said, Who are these arrayed in white robes? Where did they come from? Where did they come from? And he said, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All of their needs are going to be completely and perfectly met by the Lord Jesus forevermore. We're greatly blessed in salvation. That's just not the ultimate purpose of it. He, he said, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, uh, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be, shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. God is eternally going to display us as trophies of his grace, but he is going to bless us and meet our needs and love on us forever in the process by his grace, but for his glory. And so the ultimate purpose of this is that we are to eternally glorify God. And I want to show you three things about that biblically. First, there's no boasting about self in heaven. Remember Ephesians 2.9? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So if we earned our own salvation, we'd be telling everybody what we did to get it. And then it'd be about us, not about Jesus. Right? And, and so here's the thing I know about boasting or bragging. Each of us despises it when it comes from somebody else. Is that true? We, we can kind of tend to excuse it, justify it in ourselves, but, I mean, if, if somebody's sitting around telling you how awesome they are, you just kind of feel like puking at some point, don't you? I mean, none of us really like that. Do you understand? If we could save ourselves 
That's what heaven would be forever, except that's not heaven. That's hell. So something that there's not going to be in heaven is any boasting in ourselves. All of our boasting is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, like, if, if, if you ask or someone asks you, you know, kind of this question, well, if you were standing before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Anytime we say something like, well, I've been a good person, or I've done this, or I haven't done that, or I'm a member of a church, or I've helped a lot of people, I've given a lot of money, anything with me in it is boasting in self. And so the only acceptable answer is Jesus Christ, his finished work, and the grace of God. So we eternally glorify God, but we don't do it by boasting of ourselves. Second, I want you to see that just by the fact that we're saved and we're in heaven, apart from anything we do, we'll talk about what we do in a minute, that, that God is eternally showing off his grace in us and through us. And you know, according to what we read in Ephesians 1, he's then being glorified by us. And so I want to help you see it this way. I want to kind of hopefully kill two birds with one stone. Um, hopefully that's not offensive to any of you animal lovers. I really wouldn't throw a stone at a bird, just in case you're wondering, or even a cat for that matter, in case there's any question. Um, but um, God is eternally showing off his grace in us just merely by the fact that we're in heaven through the grace of Jesus. And you say, well, who's he showing it off to? Well, in part, he's showing it off to the angels. And so, let me correct something, okay? And it's not for the, the purpose of just like saying you're wrong. It's to show you that it's better, okay? You, you ever, maybe you said or you've heard or read somebody say like after somebody dies who's a professing Christian that, that God has another angel in heaven. You ever heard that, read that kind of thing? Can I just tell you that is a completely unbiblical statement? And the, the good news is, though, the truth is a whole lot better than that. Okay? Angels and people are two distinct types of beings. Angels are spirit beings. We, as human beings, have a body, soul, and a spirit. We're made in the image of God. You know, angels, they're created to worship and, and serve God and, and, and to serve uh, us. But we as human beings, when, when we get saved and when we experience the fullness of our salvation and going to heaven, we don't experience that by becoming an angel. We're redeemed children of God who have a relationship with God as our father that the angels don't have. Uh, the, the angels don't know God in the same way that we do. The angels haven't experienced the same things that we have. And Jesus didn't die for angels like he died for us. L let me show you something. 1 Peter chapter 1, and kind of picking up in the middle of a thought, but I think it's a place where it makes sense because I don't have time to read all the verses. But Peter writes, of this salvation, so he's talking about salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the great grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories, that's what we're talking about, that would follow. But then notice verse 12, especially the end. 
To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Notice this last phrase. Things which angels desire to look into. See, the angels don't, I mean, they worship Jesus. They worship him for dying for us, but they don't understand it. I mean, think about it, I, I, and I hope I'm not reading too much into this, but I just wonder if like the angels, like when Jesus, you know, they were there to announce the Savior's birth, but they're like, what in the world is going on here? How could the Son of God leave heaven and come to earth to die for these sorry people? How could he be born as a little baby? How could he allow himself to be tempted by Satan? You know, the angels came and ministered to him uh, after that. How could he allow himself to be mistreated and persecuted? And, you know, Jesus said uh, at the crucifixion that he could call down legions of angels who would come and rescue him. I I imagine maybe the father was having to hold the angels back because they were wanting to come and rescue him. The angels were there at the empty tomb when Jesus was raised from the dead. I imagine the angels were there to welcome and worship him when he ascended back to the Father, receiving the full glory of his reward, where he's forever going to be the name above every name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But they don't get this. They're like, how could he die for these people? He didn't die for them, but throughout eternity, God is showing them and showing every part of the universe that by my grace I've redeemed and transformed these people and so the entire universe us and the angels and everything else are going to bow their knee to Jesus Christ confess him as king of kings and the lord of lords and give him the glory that's due his name that's what all this is about the ultimate purpose of salvation is the glory of God now we're going to get in on the act too because we're going to be worshiping Jesus Christ forever and ever For what he's done for us. Look in Revelation chapter 7. uh, Look at verses 9 through 12. Uh, Revelation 7, uh, 9 through 12. Um, John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And here's what they're crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God, and who sits on the throne, and unto the Lamb. Listen, we're not going to be up there saying, Look at what I did to save me. We're going to be saying glory, hallelujah, to the Lamb of God. And it says, and all the angels stood around the throne, the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And listen, if we know Jesus Christ, that's our song, that's the cry of our heart now, and it'll be the 
the cry of our heart forevermore that I was dead and depraved and sinful and under the wrath of God. I deserve to go to hell, but God in his mercy and grace and love intervened. It's all of his grace. Nothing I could do. I was hopeless and helpless. I couldn't dig my way out of the tomb that I buried myself in by my sin. But Jesus came and he brought me out of that tomb. He made me alive by his uh, sacrificial death, by his resurrection power. And so all I can say throughout all the ages of eternity is glory to you, glory to your name. I, I didn't deserve this. You did it. I didn't do it. You did it. God did, not us. And so that means that the ultimate purpose of salvation is the glory of God. And so the only possible means of salvation is the grace of God. It has to be all of grace. Otherwise, we could and we would take credit for it. And so we get the glory instead of Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Are you trusting in the grace of God? Wherever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, are you trusting in the grace of God, the finished work of Jesus Christ alone? Are you trusting in yourself? Have you acknowledged that you have no righteousness, that all of your righteousness comes from Jesus Christ? The only possible means of salvation is the grace of God because this is the purpose to display us as trophies of grace. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in, in, in verse 26. I think it, it, this is a good way to sum this up. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But look, look at who's God's chosen. If you're saved, this is your testimony. The foolish things of the world, and the weak things of the world, and the base things of the world, the things which are despised, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And basically, what he's, if, if you wanted to, like, if you exhausted all your other insults and in, in Greek and you wanted to just insult somebody some more, just say it's the th- you're the thing that's not. You're nothing. That, that's where we are spiritually. Why, though? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I mean, think about it. You're standing before God someday. You're standing before your creator. You're going to say, yeah, you you should let me into heaven because of how awesome I've been. You say, well, you know, I was perfect. No, you're not going to say that. You can say, well, uh, I I wasn't perfect, but I tried really hard. You say, I wasn't perfect, but... uh, you know, I did a pretty good job, or you say, I mean, I wasn't perfect, but I was better than Charlie Gibson. I mean, you're going to say something like that. You say, well, I, I mean, I know I messed up some. I made some mistakes, but I went to church, and I gave some money, and, you know, whatever the, no flesh is going to glory in his presence. But he says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. In other words, if we're in heaven, our testimony is going to be 
I was nothing. I was a sinner. I deserve judgment. But God. My only hope is Jesus Christ. His perfect righteousness. His perfect obedience. His finished work. His death, burial, and glorious resurrection in my place. I have no righteousness. I have nothing to offer God. The Bible says that my righteousnesses are like filthy rags. But Jesus He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's by grace, but it's for glory. It's by grace, but it's for glory. And so, my question to you in closing is, are you relying on the grace of God alone for your salvation? Listen, you may say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but... Are you trusting Christ alone? Are you trusting the grace of God alone? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Listen, if you're mixing works in with your faith, if you're thinking, well, yeah, Jesus did this, but I got to do this, and I did that, and I'm not that bad, and uh, listen, You're not a Christian. We have to come to the place where we're broken over our sin, where we despair of any self-righteousness or any thought of being able to even contribute to our salvation. And we come to the place of where we're relying on Jesus alone because that's how God receives glory. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? If you're not, I implore you to repent And place your faith in him, trust in him alone. If you're not sure, if it's fuzzy, you got questions, come talk to me or talk to Pastor Philip, somebody you know you feel comfortable with. If you are a Christian, I just want to remind us that it's all about the glory of God. That's why we're created. That's why we're saved. That's what we're called to live for. Am I saying I always get that right? Absolutely not. But I'm saying that is the standard. That is what God is worthy of. That's why he says, you know, whatever we do, do it for the glory of God. And I don't have time to get into practically how we can do that. There's the last section of your notes kind of lays out some things and lays out some verses of Scripture that I'd encourage you to look at on your own uh, this week. But, you know, I just want to remind us that You know, if we say we believe in Jesus, it's not about us. It's about him. And we're called to live for his glory. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. And that's what our lives would be about right now. So the ultimate purpose of salvation is the glory of God. So the only possible means of salvation is the grace of God. And listen... If we set that in place in our lives, that's the cornerstone that we can build the rest of our spiritual lives on. If that cornerstone's not set, we're never going to be where we need to be spiritually. It's for glory. It's by grace. And listen, that's not just your salvation. Everything in your life, every day, The good, the bad, the ugly, the trials, the blessings, whatever's happening is for glory, and it's by grace. That's how God works. We're saved for his glory by his grace. We're kept for his glory by his grace. We're sanctified for his glory by his grace. We're going to be glorified someday for his glory by his grace. We're helped in the trials of life for his glory by his grace. 
Everything is for glory, and it's by grace. That's how, that's the only way God works. If if you're going to experience anything from God, do anything for God, it's for his glory and by his grace. That's the cornerstone that has to get set in place in our lives. For us as a church, if it's going to be what God wants it to be, it has to be for his glory and by his grace. If you're a part of some other kind of Christian organization, if it's going to be right, it has to be for his glory and by his grace. Nothing else is going to work in the spiritual realm. It's the only way that God does things. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And after we pray, we're going to sing some more opportunity for you to respond. You can sing as an act of worship to give glory to God. But you, maybe you don't need to sing. Maybe you need to pray. Or, or, or maybe you don't want to sing. Maybe you just want to praise God. You know, express your thanksgiving to him in some way. I want to encourage you to do that. I, I just felt like we're going to talk about the glory of God, that we need to respond in some way by actually giving God glory and not just hearing some words. Maybe there's somebody here that the way that you need to glorify God right now is by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, by calling on the name of the Lord in repentance and faith and, and trusting Jesus alone as your Savior. If you need to talk to somebody, about that, I'll be at the front. You need to pray and connect with God in some way. You can certainly do it where you are, but if you want to come to the front and pray, if you want to come to the right side of the altar, you're right. Just you and God. If you want somebody to pray with you, come to the left side of the altar. But let's not just hear and just kind of just go on with life. I mean, if this is true, if this is the main thing, and this is why God saved us, I know we struggle sometimes, and we can't be ambivalent about it, can we? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that through your spirit, Lord, that you would give us the grace to respond to you in whatever way that we need to. Lord, we thank you for your grace, and we praise you that you're a glorious God. And Lord, we thank you that you forgive us when we fall short of your glory, but I pray that you would help us just in in our lives and with our lives to live uh, to bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray.